0: It's us, number one,
1: sports radio, 97.5 and 1240
0: KFH. Caught, touchdown, Kansas City! Hey, Chiefs Kingdom, we have you covered. Joining Sports Daily Live, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, Dan Israel.
1: All right, welcome back in, Sports Daily Hour number two gets going with Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, joining Tommy Castor and I, Jacob Albrock, Jack Chambers producing. Dan, well, that didn't go so well against Green Bay. I, <laughs> I, I think it's time, you know, it's time to probably worry a little bit. I, my, my concern comes mostly with the injuries. How bad is this with all the injuries? And how long term are all these injuries? Have you heard anything? I know Andy Reid didn't give us much of an update yesterday.
0: No, and I think we'll find more out later today. I mean, you know, injuries are always um an issue. I think the given who they're to, we're fortunate that, you know, Nick Bolton is coming back. Uh we've got depth at the safety position. Uh but, you know, injuries are always a concern, especially when it happens to a starter and Man, it just seemed like on Sunday they were dropping like flies. I mean, every like every other play, there was an injured chief on the ground, and you never like to see that.
2: Dan, I think it kind of hit me in, in watching the game on Sunday night that there is not much, if any, margin of error with this team. And that's something that we're not accustomed to seeing in the Patrick Mahomes era where, you know, you just kind of knew that even if their backs were up against the wall, that Mahomes would pull out some of his magic or there would be something that would happen that would spark and turn this team around. But the margin of error just really is not there like we're used to seeing. Is that a fair assessment?
0: It is, Tommy. I, I mean, I think one of the things that you see here is, you know, that the team has made errors, <clears throat> you know, drops, fumbles, uh, interceptions, they've made errors all throughout Mahomes' career. They've just had this ability to come flying back with such a potent offense and recover from those. And now all of a sudden, with that missing, these errors are becoming, you know, game-changing events. And so I think the biggest concern we have now is, look, it's December. How much can we keep saying, well, you know, we're going to get a little better every week. We're going to, you know, we're going to clean things up. We're going to improve. They're starting to emerge. I mean, it's December. It's it's the time of year where you are kind of are what you are. I don't know if you can fully say that about the Chiefs yet, but we're we're closing in on that. And and the reality of this just may be that the Chiefs right now aren't a thirty thirty five point offense. They're a twenty twenty eight point offense, and and so they've got to figure out a way to to keep that margin within that where a defense where our defense can keep us in the game and and they can score enough. You know, I I, I feel like. I just feel like some of these issues you know, MVS isn't going to change at this point. I, I and let's just put it on the table. Right. I I think he is what he is. He's, he seems to be a rather selfish player. And, and, you know, it seems to be, you know, you could almost hear the green Bay fans saying, see, (laughs) you know, this is, yeah, this is why we let him go. And I, I feel like, you know, Sky don't know everybody's kind of criticizing him for running the wrong route. I mean, it's just a slant route. I don't, really don't know how he could have run that wrong, but Mahomes took the, you know, the blame for the throw. And I think that might actually be accurate in this case, but you know, we're, we're not, a, we're not a team that can just rip off the top of the defense, the opponent's defense anymore. We're a team that's having to settle for those intermediate throws. And it's, it's just a different look for the chiefs. And so I think as fans, we're probably going to have to settle in that. Yeah. The margins of error aren't there, not in a game. And now as we see, not in the season, I mean, Man, what a tight bunch this conference has become! All of a sudden,
1: Dan, this you may not be in a good position to answer this question. I'm not sure, but I'll ask it because I've wondered about it, and I know other people have talked about it. Eric Bieniemy's out, Matt Nagy's in. How much of that should we be, you know, looking at as some of the issues here? You know, I, I think we've all seen things that make us scratch our heads. Some of the calls in short yardage. Why does Rashi Rice, who's been great, have an average depth of target of about two yards last week? Like, How much of this do you think needs to go toward the change at offensive coordinator?
0: Well, it's certainly a fair question. I would say this. Coach Reed is heavily, heavily involved in the offensive development. So I think when you're you're looking purely at the passing game, I think that Nagy – and Reed are equivalent to what we had with enemy and Reed. When you're looking at the run game, certainly Beanie was a, a dominant force in the running back room. He was a dominant force on the field as a running back. So I think that as the running game goes, you could say the, the loss of of enemy was should be significant. However, the running game really isn't the problem, right? I mean, I thought I saw Patrick Mahomes under center in Green Bay more than I have ever. (laughs) I'm not sure I can remember any game where he was under center as much as he was. And, frankly, I thought the running game was very effective. One thing I do think you miss, and this is in no way am I trying to slide or denigrate Coach Nagy. He is an incredibly nice man, human being. The enemy is much more fiery when he's – you know, he is much more boisterous and fiery, and I don't know if that's a factor. I really don't think it is because I have seen Nagy be that. I just don't know, you know, on a daily basis what's going on there. But that's about the only thing I could really think to say. I, I just really think you've got a situation where, you know, teams are realizing that it, it's imperative to stop Kelsey because the depth isn't there in the receiver room, and and I think last year. Maybe we got some confidence, too much confidence, in our ability to make a Super Bowl run and victory with that kind of situation. And so to me, I I think rather than say Nagy to be enemy, maybe is the correlation there, I almost think it's the loss of Juju Smith-Schuster, to be honest. Uh, I just think he was enough of a, a force that it made that room just a notch better. Nicole Hardman and... You know, I, I get it's it's too bad with the IR, and they got to figure this out though. I mean, it it just it's kind of we're getting to the point in the season where it is where it is. I I guess I to answer your question just as bluntly as I can, I don't think it's as significant as it probably seems that it could be. Just just seeing things behind the scenes, and and with that said, I would say you know I am not there. I'm not in those rooms every day, so. But that's my opinion.
2: Dan, you mentioned seeing Patrick Mahomes under center more than maybe ever on Sunday night. I think it kind of hit me, too, that not only that, but I, I, I'm watching this team. Really, of course, we know the struggles they have with downfield passes. Really, the passing plays, so many of them are behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. And to me, it's basically becoming predictable, right? Like defenses probably know that the Chiefs, outside of Travis Kelsey, can't complete a pass down the field. And so they're going to load up and and try to stop you for yards after catch behind the line of scrimmage. If that really becomes and it kind of has become the bread and butter of the passing game, there's really no wrinkles in that, right? I mean, if you can't change that up and and count on anybody to be able to catch the ball down the field outside of Travis Kelsey, that's a really, really predictable one-track offense.
0: It is, but I would say also that with a running back like Isaiah Pacheco, you, if you don't stack that box a little, he's going to bust through that, and he's going to get you seven yards of carry. You let a guy start doing that on first down to you every day, you, you're not going to be able to predict anything. And so, and I, I thought, given the 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 way the game started, I thought we were going to rely heavily on the run Sunday in Green Bay. I, I'll tell you guys, just from an from a guy who's seen a lot of Chiefs football, I think the biggest and most glaring thing to come out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, was they played more physical than we did. They came out with more energy. They were faster on the field. They were bigger. this It's a big team. I mean, those the offensive line for the Packers, like 6'5", 6'5", 6'4", 6'5", 6'5". You know, I mean, they're big boys, had a lot of weight on the field, and they were moving fast. And I just felt like... They were playing with more energy. And and I think the Chiefs are going to have to figure out a way to come out and not wait till the second half to do that. With where they're at now and their inability to just score three touchdowns in eight minutes, they're going to have to to start much, much faster. And I think that's the frustrating thing for us. You you could almost see that the time of possession was so lopsided in that first half. Anytime you put the defense out on the field for 50 snaps when it should be 35 – you're wearing them out quickly, you know. I just, I feel like they outplayed us. Not, not necessarily even from a scheme to a scheme, just the physicality, you know. I and mean, when it comes down to that whole Nebraska three yards in a cloud of dust thing, you know, you know what I'm going to do, or you might know what I'm going to do, but you still got to stop it. And I think for us. I don't think we should have to hide behind, or I would like to see a Chiefs team that doesn't have to hide behind the trickery. That doesn't have to say, ah, oh, I see, you thought I was going to do this, but I really did that. I'd like to just see, hey, this is where we're going, stop us. And let's be able to you know, combat that way. That's kind of the impression I was left with the last game. I don't know if that you know, fully answers your question, but I, just, I found that to be the most frustrating part about, about Sunday night's performance.
1: Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, joining us. You hear their calls uh, every week with us here in our Odyssey family. Dan, Trevor Lawrence goes down last night waiting on the severity of that injury. It has been a bloodbath at that position specifically, but we've seen the Ravens lose their star tight end to Mark Andrews. Like As we see the Chiefs struggle, as they get the injuries, it does still feel like, as we're watching this, at least in the AFC It's almost like it's a battle of attrition and all of these things that frustrate us. And, you know, that's significant for the Jaguars last night. That's one less team the Chiefs have to jump, although I guess you could make a case you'd like to have Trevor Lawrence playing against the Ravens. But it it is a weird year in the NFL and in this weird year league-wide and a weird year for the Chiefs based on what we're used to over the recent years. It still feels like they've got just as good a shot as anybody to win this thing and and still should be one of the favorites.
0: Yeah, Jacob, I kind of feel like this is the – it's like the OK Corral. Last man standing is going to survive in this thing because it is weird. I mean, you look at this a month ago. You look at our conference, and it looked like it was stacking up to be a a three-horse race, and now you've got a – I mean, I can't believe that all four teams – and the AFC West had the ability to get into the playoffs. Not likely. I mean, Chargers and Raiders are not likely. But they're not mathematically eliminated either. It's, it's crazy. And, you, and when you think about, you know, when you see what the Bengals did last night with this kid, wow, did he play good? I mean, what a game that was. And then you start to think, oh, maybe the Bengals aren't out of it either and maybe the Bills are going to make a resurgence and come flying back, I and mean, we'll see how the Chiefs play them on Sunday. But, I mean, it is a tight, tight race. You're talking about one game separating the first seed from, you know, the, the second, third, and fourth. And I think I think there's a tie at at the first and second, but the Ravens and the, and the Dolphins will, will work that out by the end of the season. But uh, to your point, the Chiefs still have a very real possibility uh, – of not only making the playoffs, I think that's a high, high percentage. They're going to make the playoffs. They have a possibility of getting back into that first seed, but they've got to do it with with better play than what they put on the field on Sunday night. That's for sure.
2: Dan, what level of concern right now do you have about the offensive line, both from a health perspective and Donovan Smith I know was dealing with a neck injury and Wanya Morris was in the game on Sunday and then continuing this penalty issue with Juwan Taylor it definitely looked like, I mean, a lot of the major concerns from Sunday night, the red zone, Patrick Mahomes getting sacked in the red zone, which is unlike what we've seen uh, in a long time from this Chiefs team. So what, what's your level of concern right now from the offensive line play?
0: You know, I asked uh, last night, I had a guest. I had to fill in for the for Mitch in the Chiefs Kingdom show, and Mitchell Swartz was my guest. And during one of the breaks, I said, well, just tell me what you see in there. And He said, you know, Jawan and even – Wanya Morris were, were holding their guy 10 and 11 yards. And he says, that's all you can ask out of a tackle. He really kind of defended them because in my mind, I felt like, you know, the play was diminishing uh, in terms of <laughs> what was happening on the, on the two tackles, especially with the injuries to Donovan Smith. But he seemed to think that, that that wasn't the issue. and It is just a matter of, you know, getting the playoff and getting it going. I did think we were doing a lot of runs up the middle. I thought that was encouraging to see, Um, you know, they, they just, for whatever reason, I, I felt like they were attacking us on the edge and they were winning enough that it was making these guys, you know, look not as good as you want them to. And, and yet when you hear a guy who's an all pro tackle say, no, you know, I mean, he didn't really have any reason to stand up and defend these guys. These guys weren't on the team when he was there. And so, I, I don't know, I, I kind of, I left, as I was driving home last night, I said, you know, I, I really want to go back now and look at the game again and just focus on that because I, I'm uncertain. I, I feel like what I saw Sunday isn't what a guy who did it for so many years and did it well saw Sunday, and so I kind of, that's probably on my to-do list for the remainder of this week is go back and look at that game and just focus in on these tackles because it is an issue. Anytime you lose your starting tackles, we know that from Super Bowl 55. If there's anything we learned from Super Bowl 55, it's that. And so uh, not that Juan DeMores can't step in and do the job, but uh, you know, not that Taylor can't clean his game back up again, but there's a lot to, to look at there. I think that you have to – it would be irresponsible not to look at it, right? Maybe that's not the issue, but you got to look at it.
1: Well, you got to look at that, and I think the other thing you got to look at is the secondary. I thought that was a secondary's worst game by far. Way too many. Jordan Love. Everyone talks about how good he looked, and he he did a nice job. But I thought a lot of it w- was good fortune too. I didn't think the secondary played well at all in that game, Dan. What did you see from that group?
0: Yeah, there were a couple of moments. Love. Everybody was saying, "Oh my, Love dropped a dime in between three Chiefs receivers." Yeah, he three Chiefs receivers were there. And any one of yeah. those guys could have probably tapped the ball. I just that not. – I'm not taking anything away from Jordan Love because he did play very well, but I do feel like that wasn't the caliber of secondary play that we've been playing. So I, I wouldn't – I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I felt like that was a an issue. You had guys wide, wide open. They have – and look, I don't know if it's this game or whether Green Bay's figured this out, but if Green Bay's figured it out, you can bet – we're going to see this from going – and I think Green Bay probably went back to the Denver game and say, how did Denver do some of this stuff? But when they flood those corners with two guys, there's an issue with the communication and transition from one guy to the other. So you saw, I think it was Snead, bite down on the second guy who was under, leaving the guy behind him wide, wide open. So we've got to figure out that issue because there were too many instances in my mind where guys had 10 – sometimes 15 yards of separation. How does that happen? That is not typical for what we've been seeing out of the Chiefs secondary. Uh, out of these two tandem corners that have been playing lights out most of the year, definitely a poor performance for them.
1: All right, Dan. Well, you mentioned Mitch. Uh, we assume everything I, – I heard you last night on the Chiefs Kingdom show. We assume everything's okay with Mitch and all will be back to normal. The streak is over, uh, the Iron Man streak. but. Uh, everything back on on as normal this weekend?
0: It is, yeah. I Mitch mean, uh, was, I tell you, I think as hard as COVID was on him physically, I think losing the streak probably was tougher for him mentally. I know when I went through this in uh, 2015, I broke my streak, ironically, on an away game to Green Bay, in which we lost uh, at 523, and he broke his streak last. Sunday at five oh three I we tried everything to figure out how to remote this broadcast so that Mitch could be a part of it. We talked to the Packers about an isolated room. We talked to K- Channel 41 here in Kansas City about putting him up in a remote truck and sending a fiber feed back. I mean, we tried. if we'd had probably another day, we might have been able to pull that off. But unfortunately, just the late notice didn't make it so. He wasn't able to make the game, but he's doing much better. He's out of protocol today. So I think uh, no anticipation for his re- his return, or no, uh, no concerns about his return. He'll be back Sunday.
1: All right, well, that's good news. We will have the call with you. It's one of the biggest games of the week. Buffalo is, uh, is going to be chomping at the bit for this one. The Chiefs have got a lot to figure out in a short amount of time to do it. Dan, we appreciate it. We look forward to the call this weekend.
0: You bet. Thanks, guys. Have a good week.
1: All right, there goes Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network, with us here on Sports Daily. A lot of good stuff there, uh, and boy, Tommy, there is no time to feel sorry for yourself. I, Buffalo is going to bring it on Sunday. Well, like they're, they
2: are—they're yeah, desperate. They, you know, they've got to get back in the playoff hunt, and so you're—you're you're
1: poking a rabid dog yeah, there. Uh, yeah. The Chiefs have got to bring that same energy at the minimum. Uh, I think in that game and we'll see how it goes. It's I think it's within a field goal on the line and all those things. Let's talk a little about Monday night football. That was a really interesting game. All of a sudden Dan teased at some of it, but on both sides with Cincinnati and Jacksonville, I think there's plenty to take away from it. We'll get into that on our way out. Let's give away some movie tickets here. Uh, You can check out the new Wonka movie at Boulevard Theatres in Town West Square. Again, this is the new one coming out. A special sneak peek of that new musical starring Timothy Chalamet. hope I'm saying that right. At 7 o'clock on Thursday, December 14th. That's next Thursday. You can get a pair of tickets on us right now on the IHOP hotline here at Sports Daily. Chad will get us a winner. We'll come back with more right after this. Cena Anderson reporting that the Bears would have interest in Eric enemy just FYI. Uh, Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor here with you. Sports Daily rolling through hour number two. Our appreciation of Dan Israel. If you missed anything from our conversation on the Chiefs, you can go back and listen to that for free at kfhradio.com. Congratulations to Scott for winning our Wonka tickets at Boulevard Theaters. We'll give away some HTO here before the end of the show as well. Monday Night Football, Tommy. Looked like it might be a blowout in a bad game. Was anything but that. And Jake Browning uh, led Cincinnati behind a really impressive performance to a win. 491 yards of total offense. Uh, Browning was 32 of 37 in the game. 350 yards, a touchdown. Cincinnati's at 6-6 six and six and maybe opening our eyes. Browning has been, you know, he was decent last week, too. And good yesterday. And then the other big news, and we're waiting to hear, Trevor Lawrence went out in pain. His ankle was stomped on. And now Jacksonville's got this affliction so many teams across the league have this year. We'll see. There's optimism, according to Mike Garofolo this morning, uh, that it's a sprain and it's not bad. Credit to the flexibility of of Lawrence. And he's avoided serious injury before. Boy, he looks like he's in pain though. But even if they even let's say he misses one game, Tommy, and they got to go with C.J. Beathard, who's not terrible, by the way. Uh, th- that's an opening for the Chiefs, right? That's one team, but they got the opening. They, you know, so now it's this weird thing, right? So Jacksonville loses. The Chiefs have the tiebreaker on them. You almost, if you're if you're a Chiefs fan want Lawrence back immediately or as quick as he can because they get the Ravens in two weeks and you need the Ravens to lose. So it's this weird dynamic, but the Jags have to deal with it now with everybody else. And then on the flip side, the Bengals who are dealing with it, maybe they, maybe they could still make some noise here.
2: Boy, isn't it great when you've got some talented wide receivers? Doesn't that make a difference? Isn't that an important thing for a team? T Higgins made his return last night and, you know, his stat line wasn't super impressive, but even just but his, he's there. his presence yeah. on the field is going to attract attention. Of course, the veteran Tyler Boyd and, oh, by the way, Jamar Chase had 146 yards receiving. It's going to make a lot of quarterbacks look really good, including Jake Browning. And I'm not taking anything away from Jake Browning. I think that he's, a, uh, he's an okay backup quarterback. Um, he's certainly not Joe Burrow, but he doesn't have to be Joe Burrow when you've got that talented receiving core around him. And I know that you're not a Joe Mixon fan. I thought Mixon ran the ball pretty decently last night. And so you've, gotta, you've and got to... And 20 carries for 68 yards. But he got in the end zone 20. twice. He got in the end yeah, zone Yeah, that's great. Times.
1: That's great. Chase Brown got sixty-one yards on nine carries. Like Mixon is the is is everybody's favorite running back of all time that averages about three yards a carry. I'm
2: not saying that he's incredible. I'm saying that he is what the the Bengals needed him to be last night. He got it. Now he was zone. good as a
1: receiver. He was good last night. He was really good as a receiver.
2: I'm not. I let me just a quick
1: aside. I'm not like anti Joe Mixon, but he's been. You know, talked about as if he, as if he's one of the great runners in football, and he's not that. And and you know, he's kind of a turd too. So, like, I don't even feel bad saying he's not as good as everybody says he is. He's just not. But he was he he was good as a receiver, and he really did help them last night for sure.
2: But isn't it interesting when you have dynamic playmakers, right, that can yeah. catch the football or run the football, sure. and, and what that does for your team? It's almost kind of like, and this might be blasphemy for you know me saying this, but it's almost like the quarterback position isn't the most important thing in the world. It is. I'm not saying that it's not. But what I'm saying is when you have incredibly explosive playmakers who can make things happen, even Jake Browning can throw for over 350 yards and a score and beat the Jaguars.
1: Um. Yeah, no, I don't agree with that at all. I think it helps, and I think Browning deserves some credit. I, I Cincinnati's interesting. At times, they've played good defense this year. They are dynamic offensively. There's no question about that. like Browning Cincinnati is as talented at its skills positions as any team in football and collectively probably the most talented. San Francisco may maybe there or a little above, but those that's it. like that that's the list of as far as just like sheer talent on the offense. And so that's a. I mean, if you're a Bengals fan, like you're not going to win the Super Bowl with Jake Browning, not if your defense gives up 31 points. But it, it at least gives you hope for the rest of the year. Like I, you know, like I, I, I don't think there's any reason Cincinnati could look at the look at the the the, the North. You think Cincinnati could beat Baltimore right now? And I, they they probably get Baltimore. I don't.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I it's, it's, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be a tall, than you
1: tall task. To catch it, they don't play Baltimore again. So that, you know, but they're they're better than Cleveland, and they're probably better than Pittsburgh, certainly better than Mitch Trubisky-Pittsburgh, right? Like, so, you know, what does that mean for Cincinnati? Could they get into the playoffs? And I guess you just have to, and let me pull up the updated standings here real quick to just just sort of put it into perspective here in the AFC playoff race. But if you look at the AFC playoff race right now, and I'm going to look, You know, they just beat Jacksonville, who is back now to the fourth seed. Is Cincinnati better than Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Houston, Denver, Buffalo? I don't know about Buffalo, but they're certainly better than Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Denver, probably Houston. Maybe not Houston, but probably Houston. I I mean, they're right there, Tommy.
2: Yeah, I think that that question about Houston— um, I, I would say they're not better than Houston, but then Tank Dell goes down with a fracture. Yeah, play it's close. For the season. Yeah, so I'm I'd, factoring
1: I'd, injuries into all of that. Yeah. I'd
2: put them probably right now with Jake Browning at about the same level as Houston. Um, I, I don't know if they're better than Buffalo. I think that Buffalo has the desperation factor, but you know what Cincinnati does too at this point. I think the Bengals, you know, everybody was ready to say their season is washed and they're done and they're out of it as soon as Joe Burrow went down for the season. But again, so many talented playmakers and explosive offense. And I think that they, at least in the wild card hunt, have as good of a chance as several other teams that are in that wild card chance, that wild card spot, if not better. You listed off a couple of them. I think they're better than Indianapolis with Gardner Minshew. I think that they're better yes. than Denver. You know, are. I think they're better than Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh. I have no idea how they've been able to win games this season, and now you've got Kenny, Now you've got Kenny Pickett out for a couple of weeks. I don't think that. I mean, can, can that offense get any worse with Mitch Trubisky? I mean, I, I guess maybe it could, but I don't have a lot of faith in Pittsburgh. So, no, I certainly think that Cincinnati right now. We, we talked all along about the parity in the AFC at the very top, but there's a lot of parity underneath as well for the teams that are battling for a wild card.
1: When this – when and I haven't done the mathematical equations to even know this is possible, but if I'm looking at this right now, knowing Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Indianapolis, none of whom have their starting quarterbacks, I I, I think when push comes to shove in the AFC, we're probably going to end up with very close to the teams we thought we would anyway, right? Everybody had in, most likely, Miami, Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville. Probably you had Cincinnati and Buffalo in there and maybe like the Chargers, and that's probably what we're going to end up with. Maybe not the Chargers. Maybe Houston subs in there. I don't know. But we're going to get all these teams we thought we were going to get anyway. Buffalo is in. Now they got to go to Arrowhead and get a win. Buffalo is in a really good, you know, position to be able to bounce back now. And after Kansas City, they have. I mean, their schedule, Tommy, is brutal. They're probably. At Kansas City, at the Chargers, at Miami, and then home games against Dallas and New England. That's rough. Buffalo's path is tough, but it's right there for them, right? So, so we'll see. I, I'm curious about Buffalo the rest of the way, but we, we, there's a, there's a, you know, a chance we get all the teams we thought we were going to get anyway. After all this chaos, like they're all right there, and after seeing, you know, Browning play that way, not just last night. Again, he wasn't bad in his first game either. And now that they've got all their weapons back, you're just like, okay, well, what does a Browning-led Cincinnati team look like in the postseason? Well, they just went to Jacksonville and won. And Trevor Lawrence played all but the very end of that game. So if you want to know what they look like in the playoffs, that's what they look like in the playoffs. That would be a road game against a home team in the playoffs.
2: Okay, so you're going to completely, I think, laugh in my face when I say this. But I think that just looking at the remaining schedule for this one particular team, Man, I hate saying it. I think that there is a fairly decent scenario in which the Cleveland Browns, led by Joe Flacco, find their way in the wild card. I mean, I really Flacco do. got
1: Flacco got sent back to the practice squad today. I just yep. saw, uh, so I don't know who their quarterback. Well, Dorian
2: Thompson Robinson has been in concussion protocol, so if he's healthy enough to play, I would imagine he's the presumptive starter. And I know the Browns got blown out by the Rams. It was a, a fairly close game going into the fourth quarter, and then the Rams pulled away. Um, so that that margin looks a little bit worse than I think what it actually was. But they've got the Jags without Trevor Lawrence more than likely this weekend at home. Then they're at home again against the Bears. Both of those games, I think, are you could probably, with the defense that the Browns have, they're probably wins for Cleveland. So you're looking at a nine-win team at that point. All they have to do is either win at Houston, at home against the Jets, and then on the road at Cincinnati. And you're looking at a 10-win team, and that's probably a playoff team at that point.
1: Yeah, I, Cleveland could get there based on their defense. We've we've known that, right, forever. Uh, Joe Flacco. I, I,
2: I, Joe Flacco.
1: He's not. He's he, Listen to this. Listen to this. I, it, Action Network has this out, and a bunch of others have tweeted this too. This is potential quarterback matchups we've got coming in week 14. You want to know why the league protects its quarterbacks? Listen to this and try to keep your breakfast down you've got a bailey zappy mitch trubisky thursday night football game uh you've got uh cj Bether, joe flacco squaring off gardner Minshew, jake browning josh dobbs aiden o'connell uh jordan love against tommy devito like the names on this list again zappy trubisky trevor simeon Jameis winston Uh, C.J. Beathard, Joe Flacco, Gardner Minshew, Jake Browning, Aiden O'Connell, Josh Dobbs, Tommy DeVito. What on earth is going on at that position this year? Like, that's why you see the rules changed, and that's why I'll never get that angry when they're extra protective of the quarterbacks out there on the field. Because I I don't want any of that. Like, I don't want that. I I want to see Burrow, (laughs) and I want to see, like, I want to come on now.
2: I saw that uh, with the Steelers having Kenny Pickett out for a while and starting Mitch Trubisky, they signed Trace McSorley to the practice squad. And I'm pretty convinced that's not a real person. I think that's a made-up name. Trace McSorley. That does not sound like a legitimate actual person. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Um, And and maybe he actually is a legitimate person. That sounds like a made-up name to me.
1: Well, it's not. I, I, McSorley's been around for a minute, but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's gross. But doesn't it's that gross. sound like
2: a made-up name?
1: To the Chiefs, though, it does. It does, except to the Chiefs, there is an attrition aspect to this season. There is. You know, like, if they can just get there, and I've never felt like in this current iteration that home field meant as much as it does this year, because I think it does. It absolutely does for the Chiefs. But there's an attrition factor on this. If they can just limp in there and get there, you can almost just say we're, like, all rear view mirror stuff. We don't care. Who cares? Like, we'll move on from this. They We've got to see the defense play better than it did last week. That's That's concerning. But if it does, and Pacheco in the run game continues to be effective— In the AFC, I just don't know what else scares you that much at this point.
2: But you know what? Let's talk about the division leaders in the AFC right now. Outside of the Jags and Trevor Lawrence, who had that injury last night, the Ravens, the Dolphins, and the Chiefs, all three of them have their starting quarterback, right? They haven't, like, Lamar Jackson isn't injured. Tua Tagovailoa is not injured. Patrick Mahomes is not injured. So to your point about attrition, I think you're spot on with that. I mean, look at all the other teams that are below them that are dealing with quarterback issues right now. The Steelers are, the Browns are, the Bengals are, the Colts are, the the Texans are not. They've got C.J. Stroud and he looks pretty good. But a lot of the other teams that are in there competing, you know, the Bills are not either, but the Jets, obviously. The teams that are below the division leaders, a majority of them are dealing with quarterback issues and the standings could look a lot different if you had some more healthy quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, uh, well, for sure. And I think as you look at those standings, it gets really interesting when you think about Miami because, again, they have not beaten anybody yet. They, They have played a soft schedule and not beaten a good team yet. Baltimore is the real X factor. You and I agree on that. If Lamar Jackson stays healthy, which he hadn't been able to do the last couple of years, the way their defense is playing, they're an X factor, even without Mark Andrews. They may go get Zach Ertz, by the way, which would be really interesting. Um, and then Kansas City. I mean, look, again, like it's just not that definitive to say you'd take anybody over Kansas City. Now, you go to the NFC, and certainly you feel better about San Francisco. Philadelphia, we'll see. I, I'm not, but, but Dallas, again, if they're playing home games. But in the AFC... I just don't know. I, I don't know that. You know, I haven't looked at the updated Super Bowl odds. I would guess that the Chiefs are still favored, but I'd have to, I'd have to double check on that. It's just nuts. This has been such a crazy year. All right, let's give away some HTO on the way out here. Uh, it'll be Brewhouse Coffee Drinks. It'll be iced or hot coffee, espresso drinks. There's all kinds of specialty drinks, all the classics, anything you want. You can get them at, at the HTO Brewhouse. More than just great iced tea. Uh, You can do that right now at the East location in Wichita or Derby. These brew house drinks, free cards will be good for either of those locations. Jad will get us a winner, 869-1240. We'll come back. Last full segment of Sports Daily on this Tuesday coming up. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor, with you till the top of the hour. Jim Rome takes over after us. Heisman Trophy finalists are out. Tommy, I think this is the four that everybody would have guessed: Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, will be the group. Uh, is uh, you know, like uh, I've got a little scratch on Marvin Harrison Jr., so I'm hoping for you know a miracle there. But I, this is a fine group. It's, it's a less definitive group, I think, than we've seen in years past. Obviously, the big shocker is Caleb Williams is not a part of that group. But, you know, this is, this is a—I I, I mean, I think if we all had to guess, this would be the, the people everybody would guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's Jaden Daniels' award to lose at this point. I mean, I think that as far as individual stats and accomplishments, I mean, I think he's head and shoulders above everybody else. The only thing that might stand in the way— Is the success that LSU had this season or lack thereof? That's probably the only thing that you might look at a Michael Penix Jr. and what Washington is doing at number two in the CFP. You know, maybe getting a little bit of consideration because of that. But I think what's, uh, you know, interesting about these four guys is that outside of Penix, none of these other players are in the CFP. Jaden Daniels is not with LSU, Bo Nix is not with Oregon and then of course Marvin Harrison Jr is not with Ohio State. So really if you're looking at it from a team success standpoint, Michael Penix Jr is on the team that's had the most success out of the four, but individual accomplishment wise, it's probably Jaden Daniels.
1: Yeah, and he's a he's minus 1200. Um so that's a very very heavy favorite. And I wonder like Marvin Harrison Jr. is a 200-to-1 long shot in this thing, and I'm just looking at his season this year, and, and he, he doesn't have it. I mean, he doesn't have the numbers this year at just 1,200 yards, 67 catches, 14 touchdowns. He's he's the best player maybe in college football, but he's not a Heisman. For, for comparison's sake, Tommy, Devonta Smith's numbers in his last year at Alabama, he had 117 catches. 1,850 yards and 23 touchdowns. That's the kind of receiver numbers you got to put up in a big-time program to be in that conversation and get something like that. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is nowhere close to any of those numbers. So just for some perspective there. Doesn't mean he's not the best player in college football. I think that he is. uh, But he's not, you know, as far as the Heisman goes, just numbers – by themselves aren't they're they're not even close.
2: Yeah, I mean there are NFL teams that are absolutely drooling over the possibility of having Marvin Harrison Jr on their team and I would imagine the Kansas City Chiefs are one of them. But all that being said, he's not going to win the Heisman. That's why he's such a long shot as far as the odds are concerned. The stats aren't there, but he's incredibly exciting, entertaining to watch. He's going to be a big-time playmaker on Sundays. But again, I, I think it's I, I really think that it's Jaden Daniels. He'll end up winning that award, I'm sure. But again, the only thing that might make the committee hesitate briefly is the fact that LSU is. You know, they—they, they, I think they what they were, had three losses on the season. They were nine and three is where, yep. where they finished. That's about the only thing I think that might make them hesitate slightly. But at the end of the day, it'll be Daniel's award.
1: I hate when they're slam dunks like this because at minus twelve hundred, nobody else is winning that award. I hate when they're slam dunks like this. There's no like mystery or intrigue right. in it. Um, that that that's not nearly as fun. You know, I like when you've got some dominating defensive force in there up against like a a wide receiver and a you know it's usually a quarterback award we know that a running back you know every once in a while but it'll be all right and it, it it is unfortunate too that it's a player coming from a team that's not yeah. going to be playing in at the biggest stage
2: I'm disappointed that uh and I know that he didn't have a good big Twelve championship game and he you know kind of tailed off a little bit towards the end of the season I had a little bit of money on Ollie Gordon from Oklahoma State you know he had pretty good odds, yeah. like midway through the season. He was leading all running backs in college football. I mean, he was explosive and, and incredibly fun to watch. And, you know, people were saying that they they hadn't seen a running back at Oklahoma State like that since Barry Sanders. And so I put some money on him thinking that maybe he could be a, a decent, like dark horse Heisman candidate. Fell off towards the end, didn't have a good game against Texas. That's not going to happen. He's not a finalist, so I'm disappointed in that.
1: Yeah, that's probably about the point I put. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. in there too. So when we get to a twelve-team playoff, I think the chances that we'll have Heisman candidates that aren't involved in that are almost slim to none. I think it will be very, very unusual to have players on the Heisman finalist list that aren't playing in the postseason. That will be a good thing for the sport. Uh, yeah, and, that and will look, be awesome. I'll tell
2: to you. See. I'll tell you right now. If Bo Nix and Oregon had beaten Washington in the Pac-12 championship game, then you would have a two-horse race between Bo Nix and Jaden Daniels. Then there would be a lot of intrigue and a lot of drama. But with Washington and what... And and I'm a big Michael Penix Jr. fan, and I think that he's going to be really fun to watch on Sundays. I, I really believe that. I think that he could be a guy that, in my opinion, I mean, I know he's a Washington guy, the Seahawks could take a look at, develop him under Geno Smith and maybe be a future franchise quarterback for the Seahawks. That's kind of what I'm looking at. I'm a big Michael Penix fan. That being said, though, uh, he, I don't think he's not as explosive as Jaden Daniels is. But, man, had Oregon beaten Washington, Bo Nix definitely would have been that guy along with Daniels.
1: Yeah, but he for sure would have. And and it should be. I, I don't like, and I, I suppose I get it, I wish we would vote for the Heisman after the season is completed. Like, who is that really hurting to see these guys play on the biggest stage? And I know all the
2: How can you do that, like, right now in in bowl games when you've got players that are potentially transferring out or they're not playing in bowl games or they're sitting out to improve their, you know, they don't want to get hurt? Probably would be it.
1: Guys would have to make that decision. Hey, you're a Heisman candidate. Like, are you going to play and solidify your case or not? And that's a okay. You either do or you don't. And and look, we we know the NFL MVPs. We, I get it; awards happen all the time before we get to the end of seasons. But I do think it would be fun for college football to see these guys play in the biggest games, right? Let's let's say you're in a 12-team playoff, and a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. absolutely goes ballistic for three games and leads Ohio State to a national championship. That's not a bad and, and then makes his case. Like that would be awesome, right? Like that would be really cool to see and, and watch it play out. Same for quarterbacks, obviously, but you know, even what even if it's a defensive player who legitimately has that big an impact on his team winning a national championship, I think it would change the way we voted for it in a good way. Uh, something to think about, but probably will never happen. We'll come back. Congratulations to a different Scott for winning our HDL Brewhouse coffee. We'll tell you what's on tap today next.